So, ladies and gentlemen, my plea today is for countries to come together to create the environment that enables every sector of industry to take the action required. We know this will take trillions, not billions of dollars. We also know that countries, many of whom are burdened by growing levels of debt, simply cannot afford to go green. Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector. With trillions at its disposal, far beyond global GDP, and with the greatest respect, beyond even the governments of the world's leaders, it offers the only real prospect of achieving fundamental economic transition. Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. I have Derek Bros joining me today to go over his recent article, likely both of them, but specifically the focus on the World Economic Forum, their recent meeting in Davos, which is an annual meeting, but they've had virtual meetings. It's the first one they've had in person for a while, and it's really important to understand what this really represents. Not that it's an absolute in any one way or any direction, really, but what it really does represent and what history has shown this leads to. That's why I started with that, that, that discussion, which was not part of the Davos discussion, but I want people to think about how the economic part of this, Catherine Austin Fitz and I have had a lot of discussion on this topic, I believe Derek has with her as well, in regard to the, the financial part of this, which in her mind is really the crux of all of it and very well could be, but this is about using all of these pieces, the environmental aspect of it, the the biosecurity aspect of it, everything. And so Derek recently wrote a great article going over what he felt were the, at the, the most important ones at the moment, and there's a lot more to discuss. And so we're going to have a conversation about that and what this means and what these discussion points could mean for your future. So Derek, how are you today? Thanks for joining me. Hey, I'm doing great, brother. Thanks for having me back on. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure, man. And I enjoy, I enjoy going over the work, especially with you, because we always get into some interesting, you know, kind of focal points, topics that we didn't flesh out in the articles, you know, really just discussing these live and talking about it. But so let, let's jump right into this because I think this is a really, this topic has been something that we've all been discussing from kind of the beginning of COVID-19, but long before that as well, Agenda 2030, this sort of direction they've been taking. And it doesn't necessarily, and really I'll go ahead and say it shouldn't be seen as all encompassing, that every single person in every aspect and every facet is all about the Great Reset and all about taking your rights away. Now, I do believe that there's an obvious undertone, if not completely on the surface, of exactly that. But I just think it's important that we're objective and that we're measured and showing discernment, as I know you agree with. So to get into this topic, to start off with your article here, what you need to know about the World Economic Forum's 2022 meeting. Now, before we get into what you saw from this and what you think was most important, you know, maybe for those that are new to this channel, new to this discussion, you know, why do you find Davos, the World Economic Forum, like kind of in a nutshell? I know it's a huge topic, but why do you find them, this whole thing, this whole focal point to be alarming if you do at all? What, what are your thoughts on it? I know you do, but just be objective. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that for starters, even if people are not familiar with things like the Great Reset, if you're just joining the the conversation at this point and wondering why everybody's paying such a big deal to the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and, and those folks. Um, it is because 
the World Economic Forum, which has been around since the early 70s, and organizations like them, nonprofits, think tanks, NGOs, um, public-private partnerships. The World Economic Forum, of course, calls themselves the International Organization for Public-Private Partnerships. These type of organizations, most of us have no idea who they are, what they do. They're not the people that you, you know, you uh, you hear about on TV that you need to go vote for that right. supposedly represent you. These are people who are outside of government and by and large, most people have never heard of the organizations. If they have heard of the organizations, they don't know much about what they actually do or, you know, they just think it's some rich people getting together to, you know, drink a bunch of champagne or something. Um, <laughs> and in reality, you know, it's a lot more consequential than that. Um, you know, and I'll also say this as well. We've been paying attention um, to the World Economic Forum a lot more the last two years uh, because of COVID-19 and because of the world, uh, their announcement of the Great Reset. But as I did mention, they have been around for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years now. And I think, honestly, it was maybe, maybe you know, the power dynamics have shifted and the World Economic Forum wasn't as important as they now appear to be. But it, I feel like there was maybe a major blind spot for many of us who were looking at exclusively groups like, for example, the group that just met this past weekend, uh, maybe is even still meeting right now, the Bilderberg Group meeting in Washington, D.C., another event that it brings real, together. Real quick shout out, by the way. I know Jason Burmis is covering that. He's going to be doing yeah. stuff on that. I might talk to him about it. So make sure you check that out if you're interested, because that is an important, it's, it's the same kind of thing, but pl please keep going, Derek. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, my point is that, you know, the, the so for the World Economic Forum, they are having 2,500 people to come together. The Bilderberg Group has about 150 people come together. You know, you could, and it's a lot less public. It's not like where they're mm -hmm. inviting all these different crypto people and things of that sort. So there are still people who believe that in this hierarchy, what I call the pyramid of power, that the Bilderberg Group might still represent power at an even higher level than the World Economic Forum. But at the end of the day, the World Economic Forum very much represents the public-facing voice of this agenda. You know, it's yeah. it's the sort of idea that these things are really not, it's not even, I mean, there's conspiracy because there's people conspiring together, but it's not a secret so much as it's an open secret because they talk about it at their events, as we're going to cover today. They put out policy papers, they write, you know, they do simulations, they do all this stuff. They make it clear what they wish the world would go into. And it's not just, again, a bunch of fancy people schmoozing together. It's heads of state, it's financial um, you know, powerful people in financial centers, banks, et cetera. They had a whole bunch of media representatives. I didn't even include that in the article, but there was a, a, a tweet I saw going out. Maybe we can pull it up during this conversation, listing all the different media representatives who were at the World Economic Forum, who were speaking there, you know, and so you got CNN, you got CBS, you got all these types of people, and they expect us to believe them, you know, whenever they tell us, the mainstream media tells us the Great Reset is just a, uh, you know, a, a conspiracy. But yeah, I think that that's overall why people should care, because these sorts of organizations, um, and it, it goes into an even bigger topic that I, I, I've done some reporting on, um, I know Whitney's touched on it a little bit, um, mm -hmm. that are really called the roundtable groups, you know, the, these these public facing groups are the nonprofits, the think tanks, the NGOs. Yes, everybody knows the World Economic Forum. So whenever a normal average person who's never heard of this hears about them and they hear one of their friends saying there's some grand conspiracy, they go look them up and they're like, what do you mean? This is just a bunch of rich people getting together to talk about how to save the planet. You know, what's wrong with this? It seems like they're trying to do good things. So you have those sort of groups. But generally speaking, the idea is that you have outward facing groups like that and they represent inner you know, inside inter inner groups, inner roundtable groups that are a lot less public. And that could be groups like the Bilderberg or even groups that we have yet to identify that we don't even know the names of that are meeting truly in secret without any sort of public notice. But that's really how these groups operate. They have the public facing institutions that will tell you what you want to hear. And 
you know, they couch their language and euphemisms and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. We see the buzzwords and then they're really representing people behind them or above them um, and carrying out those agendas. So, I mean, that's why it's important to know about these groups because they are the open conspiracy. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's the point that I'm, they, that I want to focus on first here is as you list right there in the beginning and quick side note, I've, I've kind of felt this, is my opinion, I, I don't know whether, I mean, it could go either way, but I feel like with how much attention Bilderberg had got, had received over the years, that it's most, it's more likely to me now that that's sort of, I mean, I guarantee they're still discussing things, still meeting, but it's not maybe if it was what we thought it was. And I do think so that it's been shifted, you know, just it's something that we probably don't even know exists because I, I, that's just my opinion, but <clears throat> to coming to back to this one again, it's, it, it's the same idea, especially with this many people. It's, is it likely, is it possible that somebody got invited and doesn't even really understand what they're going to? I mean, that's, that's possible, like all these different perspectives to look at, but from a core level, I think it's almost undeniable that the leading factions in this, the Klaus Schwab's of the world are very, very aware of what's being driven toward. And that's at the detriment to the detriment to a lot of people in the way they would like to live their lives. So I don't care how you want to look at this, whether they believe they're doing something right or not, which I find really hard to believe with some of the stuff we'll get into. But either way, it amounts to the same thing. You know, this is kind of where we get into the definitions. It's not a vaccine. It's this. Well, what are we talking about? Did they change the definition? Because at the end of the day, does it have to be this exact cookie cutter thing to be a conspiracy theory? Not really. You're at the end of the day, if what even if they believe they're doing the right thing, if it drives us in this direction where it amounts to the same end game, that's still alarming to all of us. And it should be right. So my thought is twenty five hundred heads of state. Yeah. How in the uh, world? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go I just want to add one point to that because uh, I think that it's an important. Before we do get deep into this, an important point to flesh out a little bit. And you know, generally speaking, in our community, truth community, independent media community, conspiracy community, whatever word you want to use, there's often two ways that people look at events. Like, say, for example, nine eleven and even COVID nineteen. There's the sort of uh, what they call the my hop and the the lie hop, I think, which is they made it happen on purpose or they let it happen on purpose, those sorts of things. And so, you know, depending on how you approach these events, you can take the made it happen on purpose, which I would say is the more conspiratorial view of the history, which is just to say that you recognize that powerful people conspire together to make events happen, right? Which and then if you don't, which which is pretty, like, you know, seems common sense. And then if you don't take that approach, then you would be taking the other approach, which is the idea that, history just unfolds accidentally. Everything is just spontaneous events. And if, if that was the case, then you would assume that there would be times when things fall in our favor and not always in the favor of the people. You know what I mean? If things are just unfolding accidentally by, by this, you know, the randomness of the universe, there should be some things that seem to fall in our favor, not like, oh, look, a virus or whatever appears and it checks off all these boxes for the agendas they have. How magical, how random, right? That's just... Mm -hmm. The accident. So, I mean, I think that's one to remember is you can either be, you know, just be, be, be real about this, that people do conspire together and understand that that doesn't mean everything is a conspiracy, but to act as if nothing is a conspiracy is just equally silly. So I would I argue much more. Clear. Well, I just yeah. I mean, you say equally, I would say it's much more ridiculous to pretend that there's nothing in existence that's like, I mean, that's childishly stupid. I mean, we know that these things have, there's historical documentation that these things have happened, you know? But yeah, I, I agree completely. And I, th I, I tend to think it's a mix of both, to be honest, you know, where you have yeah. 
planning that they know, you know, and then things go awry. We stick, put sticks in the spokes all the time that, you know, so they have to recorrect and, and do, I think it's like COVID-19. You could argue it would make the most sense that it's something, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste kind of an analogy where there's some levels of this that were things that just happened that they didn't take advantage of and some levels of them that they made happen. You can decide what those parts are, you know, come to your own conclusions about it. But anyway, to, to the point yeah. here, I think that the, the heads of state thing is so incredibly important because, again, back to the mm-hmm. point of whether or not you think these people are collecting for some evil, sinister plan, which I again, I genuinely think there's a level of that in here. But the 2,500 heads of state collecting to discuss or even just to theorize about what they'll choose, that's influencing their choices, whether they choose that or not. You're being dis- you're discussing the think about the cool kids thing at high school. People want to be a part. You're in this group. You want to be a part of this select group and you want to guide, you know, oh, is, is this the right thing to do for climate change? And, you know, you can see how there's pressure here. Very big real world pressure. My point is, if they're collecting to discuss these things and they're supposed to be representing you and you're not involved, that's the first level of how this is not appropriate. In every possible way. Then you can add the media as you were, as you just sent me the link for and find it. I mean, even I thought Rebel, yeah. Rebel News went up and talked to the New York Times editor and they're just like, no comment, no comment. And it's like they don't want I mean, that's not how you should even engage in that process. If you're there as a part of a or, organic, you know, just want to see what happens and interview. But I just find this to be a controlled discussion about the future of our society, even if it doesn't end up in that way. I think it's important for us to see what this really represents. And then the going forward discussion is whether or not these things are what people actually want. And I think that's the real big decision maker here is that most people argue. I mean, I I think that at a core level, most people in the world don't want the changes that they're making. They want what they think that they're proposing. Right. So that's where this gets a little bit convoluted is where we talk about sustainability and these words. I even made a point about the word equitable the other day in regard to the same kind of point is it's like, it just means fair, fair and equal. There's no reason that should be a negative term, except for the way that they're turning it into one. You want to comment on that? I know you, you talk about that a lot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, And then I just wanted to mention some of the media that was there, but I do think you make an important point that these people, and I have said this in, I think uh, my investigation into the great narrative and pretty much probably everyone I've done on this, that to make the point that, People shouldn't should should look through the buzzwords because I've seen in our communities. So, so, you know, Ryan, like I'm I'm a permaculturist. I, you know, grow my own food. I'm into that. And part of that community is about creating new systems, regenerative systems, sustainable systems, because we do have a lot of unsustainable systems. We do have a lot of inequity where things are not fair and people are being screwed over. Right. And so it shouldn't be a bad thing to talk about. How can we create better systems that do factor those things in? Now, when people hear that, though, sometimes in our community, they've heard the United Nations say that or they've heard the World Economic Forum say it. So like, oh, sustainability. Oh, my God, you must be a part of the plan. Or you said equitable or you said, uh, you know, inclusive or whatever the word that they're using. Concern. It's a fair yeah. concern. Yeah. Well, and now I see it even more recently because the World Economic Forum is also starting to adopt the language of decentralization. They're, you know, right, and, and right. we we know they don't care about decentralization. They don't care about privacy. They don't care about sustainability. That's what's important for people to understand is that they don't use these words and they're not being honest, I would say. And that's just, mm-hmm. you know, my my view based on my research. I don't think they're truly being honest. Does that mean, of course, every person going to the World Economic Forum is being dishonest? Of course not. Some of them go there because they think, oh, I got invited to speak at the UN the World Economic Forum. Those are the institutions we are taught, you know, since uh, junior high, that those are the respectable, you know, United Nations is out there helping people. So most average people, when they get invited to speak at those things, they look at it like, oh, wow, it's a huge honor. I get to speak here. Um, so they invite people who do work on sustainability, decentralization, etc. And I think that allows them to sort of have this veneer of 
see, we're really working on these things. We're actually, you know, we're inviting all the people who want to talk about these things. Now, whether or not those people realize they're being used as pawns or not is, is a whole nother discussion. Right, right, exactly. And that, that's a good, good, uh, do you want to make, comment on the media real quick? I want yeah. to reference yeah. one person, but go ahead and do that. Yeah. So, I mean, I have that, that article you're looking at there, which is just somebody's sub stack they put together. Uh, so apparently this is just a, a brief summary. Monday morning, Chinese state affiliate Cakes and Media held a panel in partnership with the World Economic Forum on investing in China. Monday afternoon, there was a World Economic Forum CNN panel about climate action, uh, which featured the CEO of Moderna. Uh, Politico was involved in that. Monday evening was the one you talked about, partnership with the New York Times. Uh, they also held a panel investigation. As you said, rebel news journalist Avi Yemeni attempted to interview Rebe Rebecca Blumenstein, the New York Times moderator, and she refused to comment. Uh, then Tuesday, there was a session with CNBC on global taxation. Tuesday afternoon, there was a panel with Reuters in partnership with Reuters. And on Tuesday evening, there was a panel about changing the world with the Wall Street Journal, which featured a uh, top BlackRock executive and former Obama national security chief. Yeah. So, you know, they're all they're all there. There is not like they're not aware of it. And that, I think, of course, is going to bias the type of reporting we get from them. Right. Right. Well, and, and, and maybe the, I mean, this is the this is where the, the analogy of like the cool kids kind of group idea, which definitely influences adults. So this is the real world that they you know, you could see how they would be driven into thinking the right thing is simply what's being discussed. And it, it, this is the point is they're not on the outside. They're on the peripheral periphery covering this. They're a part of it, which is a very different. That's a line being crossed by, you know, supposed media journalists. They're not, that's not how that's supposed to work. So now once they're a part of the club, it's very, it, it, you, it's undeniable that it's influencing how they perceive it, how they represent it. And on that exact note, I wanted to talk about, I was going to do it later, but I think it's a good moment for it. Uh, Dan Crenshaw. Now, Anomaly just shared this this clip. Let's actually just watch it really quickly. I think I still have it. It might be loud enough, but of him discussing the Great Reset. And actually, before we even play the clip, here's what's interesting. He is a young global leader, which I find very revealing. You know that the now to be clear, on top of that, as oh, to your point, by the way, it says it was founded in 1993 under the name Global Leaders for Tomorrow. But it says Dan Crenshaw, Daniel Crenshaw, Republican Texas congressman, was selected as young global leader in 2019. What's interesting, by the way, is says, according to Tim Pool, which doesn't seem, I don't know why you wouldn't just check to see if it's accurate, but according to Tim Pool, thanks, Wikipedia, Crenshaw explained that the young global leaders list is an editorial list of prominent young people and that there is no communication or agreement before being put on their website, just for full disclosure. Now, I find that ridiculous, first of all. So because Tim, Tim Pool is the source on that. Apparently, <laughs> like he's gaslighting for Dan Crenshaw. But <laughs> the point here for me is that it's ridiculous to pretend that these people are, if you're on that list, you're not, you're not going to, you are aware, especially for how powerful it is of what it is, what the world economic forum is doing, what the great reset is here. Now here's what he said. And I find this to just be so incredibly trans. I mean, it's very revealing to me. Sort of dance around the topic of the world economic forum, um, uh, the great reset. We talked about a little about the COVID conspiracy to shut everything down. The, we got the border issue at hand. Yeah. Uh, where do you see the, the great reset right now? And where's it, where's it going over the next four, four to well, six years? I don't know if I danced around it. I just don't know anything about it. There, there were a lot of subjects that touched the great reset, or at least the philosophy of the great reset. Yeah. I, I just don't know much about it. Okay. Again, I don't, I don't care either. I, it, you know, the, I, I think we're obsessing over it on the right a little bit. And look, I, I have been to the website and I saw, okay, this is, okay, this is why people are saying that. Cause I did look into that. Okay. okay. They say something about a great reset. I don't look into it any more than that. 
Okay, right there. I mean, that's probably all you need to see. So his, his due diligence is glancing at the website and looking at what they say it is and go, oh, well, then I looked into it. I mean, he literally just said that. I can't even, this is a representative of people and he's supposed to be doing his due diligence to understand how to vote in these things. And ah, I don't even care. I don't even care. Well, you're clearly a part of it. So what do you think about that? <laughs> it's baffling. Yeah, I hadn't seen that one. Um, I, you know, I, this guy, obviously, he influences a good amount of people being in the political world. He's not somebody that I really care about his opinion. But I think it is revealing that that's sort of the level of uh, discourse he's having with it, that he's just like, ah, yeah, I heard about that. It's just we're being obsessive. It's silly. Oh, I did look into it enough to know the name, but I don't know anything yeah. about it. But and I don't his care. Point is, his point is by glancing at it was aware that they were incorrect about it. By glancing at yeah. the website, he knows they're wrong. <laughs> I've seen I've seen enough to know they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, wow. it's 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 incredible to me. But I mean, so this guy is somebody who is supposed to be representing the people. And the point of this interviewer is that people care about this. Right. So mm -hmm. the very quick thing to take away from that is Dan Crenshaw doesn't care that you think it's important. So he, he's not representing the people. None of these people do, which is the point and agree with you. I don't care about any of their opinions. I mean, in, except for insofar as it shows people what's really going on and that they're lying to you. But anyway, we can jump into the topics now. I just thought it was really revealing. And guys, understand that this and I'll, I'll play the the uh, young global leaders clip on the way out. But just okay. recognize that a lot of these people are tied directly to this and they're aware of what it is to the point to where even people in, in the UK were called out for it saying, oh, you don't know what it is? Well, why did you sign this document? Why did you thank him for the book called The Great Reset? You know, these people are denying involvement in this in real time. It's very it's very revealing. Yeah, I think that I, I would love to see and I hope that uh, if, if, if nobody else gets the chance that at some point I'll get the chance to follow up with him on that because – the fact that you are showing there that he's apparently on the Young Global Leaders Program, no matter what they try to how they try to downplay it, that should be brought up in the context of what he just said there. Like, oh, who cares? You know, yeah, exactly. Not that I just don't know and I'll look more into it, but I don't even care. Like that was a. Re I think he'll regret that going forward. I mean, that's it. It just speaks to his lack of of concern for what people. I mean, even the way the interview talked about it. Interviewer was like, "Well, okay, fair enough. You don't know about it, but we all know that there's so many topics that tie to it." Like the way he tried to make it a general point. The guy's like, nah, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Very revealing. Yeah. But to bring, Very to bring, revealing. Okay. Okay. Well, no, I was going to gonna say, this, yeah. yeah. To bring this to the, the, the general topics, there's so many things. And this is why I feel like this really does stand out to me as something that is alarming. Like on the surface, even if you buy everything they're telling you, they're literally going dock down the docket and going, okay, let's discuss Ukraine. <laughs> What's What are we going to do? But like, why do these people feel that they have the right to even discuss what's going on in Ukraine, other than the fact that they believe that that discussion could then lead to influence over its end result, right? I mean, so it just Absolutely. very clearly shows you. So go ahead. What did you see about Ukraine and, and what does it seem that their focal point is about Ukraine? So, I mean, the, the reason obviously Ukraine is affecting so much of our world right now, and I mean that in the context of what is happening in Ukraine is being blamed on so many things right now. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, right. it's the excuse for everything, just like we had with COVID before. Uh, obviously, you know, the people in Ukraine who are being affected by Russia, that's a real, this is a real event for them. Uh, for the rest of us, it's being used as an excuse to, you know, ramp up the war propaganda to, you know, say that the gas price and the food prices, it's all Russia, it's all that stuff. Um, so obviously this was going to be a hot topic and a discussion. What I thought was most important here is that, the vast majority of the event was taking this, you know, flag waving, we need to save Ukraine kind of approach. They had um, uh, Ukrainian President uh, Zelensky give this big speech. And he actually gave, I think he gave two presentations, two different speeches. 
And generally speaking, everybody that mentioned Ukraine or even on panels that had nothing to do with Ukraine, they would sometimes bring up Ukraine just to sort of, I guess, get their virtue signaling points and say, oh, I just want to make a note that, you know, I'm here standing with the people of Ukraine or whatever. So it was clearly on people's minds. But what I focused on is that it was important to me that you got Henry Kissinger, who, of course, we know, and as Whitney has reported uh, that uh, at, at an unlimited hangout, that Kissinger was the mentor to Klaus Schwab. And Klaus Schwab was the one to introduce Kissinger. Kissinger didn't appear in person. He was on the TV screen, um, still alive, still doing his thing. And uh, yeah, his, his, his student, Klaus Schwab, has gone on to carry on his agenda. What I thought was interesting is Kissinger, you know, the old elder statesman who helped bridge the relationship between China and the U.S., who, you know, with him and Zbigniew Brzezinski helped foster so much of the terror that we've seen and so much right. of the damage to our world is come from the, this man uh, and a lot of his associates and he was basically telling ukraine that they need to accept where things are and that the international community needs to give some of the territory to russia pretty much just saying go back to the way things were um prior to this recent you know incident and back to where it was after the 2014 um you know last kind of false flag things going on where russia was able to uh take control of Crimea and, uh, and kind of informally rule the Donbass region. So Kissinger said the dividing line should be a return to the status quo ante, which is, you know, before where it's at now pursuing the war beyond that point would not be about the freedom of Ukraine, but about a new war against Russia itself. So that's interesting to me because as I said, most of the rest of the people, the pundits that are speaking are just like, we need to back up Ukraine. We need to do whatever Putin's, you know, the worst guy ever. I'll, also, it should be noted that typically Russia is in, is is invited. Russian uh, diplomats and business people, and of course, Putin has spoken before. But mm -hmm. this year, they they made it a big deal where they're like, we're not inviting any Russians. And in fact, I, I guess in Davos, what they usually do is they have um, these different stations, these like areas set up for the different countries' representatives to be housed. And so apparently the area where the Russians are typically housed was now used as, like it said, Russian war crimes museum. And they had put up all these pictures of, you know, and I obviously I haven't seen the pictures. I can't vouch whether or not it was real or not, but that's at least what they were showing is like this year, instead of Russia being invited to the World Economic Forum, we're putting, you know, activists have put on display their, all the, the documentation of their war crimes. And so they were making a big deal at it. And then Kissinger's just kind of come in and saying, hey, you guys just need to back off and accept things where they were, or it's going to get much worse. It's very, very interesting. Of all people, Kissinger. And there's so many things to comment on. By the way, the, the U.S. War Crimes Museum was on the other side of the street and it took up 47 buildings, but we don't, we don't focus on that part of it. <laughs> but the, the frustrating part, I'm, being, I'm joking, by the way. For this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what's frustrating there and what's interesting is that you know, that's somebody you wouldn't expect to step into that and basically say, go back to the way before, but allowing them to literally have control over Donbass. So not it's it's sort of the on the situation prior, but allowing them to take control literally of the Donbass region. So that would be ultimately a, a net loss to the whole thing, right? They didn't succeed. They lost on, but yet he stands up and argues that. So it, this is where you get into the discussion of, you know, okay, did he mean that? Or is there some agenda behind that, that we're not seeing? And that's fair to ask yeah. because it doesn't make sense. Right, because even Zelensky then stood up in the corporate media and basically called him a, a Nazi sympathizer, like under yeah. the uh, the subtext. But 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 he's not. But it was really strange, and just to see that pushback. But I I am interested to see where that goes because 
I mean, maybe there's the agenda there in regard to giving him the territory back and then using the Azov movement from within the territory to create some kind of, you know, that's where we see this kind of like with Syria quagmire, you know, get them a situation where they're going to sit there and deal with it for the next 20 years. And so we can siphon off their power. I I don't know. It's just very interesting to see. And Zelensky didn't seem happy about it. Yeah, no, and I think that what what I imagine. So let me go ahead and just quote what Zelensky said because you mm-hmm. referenced it, so people can hear it. So what Zelensky, you know, current president of Ukraine, responded. He said, "It seems that Mister Kissinger's calendar is not 2022, but 1938." And he thought he was talking to an audience not in Davos but in Munich of that time. And obviously, he's talking about Germany, mm-hmm. not, you know, during Hitler's time, uh, World War II. Uh, by the way, in the real year 1938, when Mister Kissinger's family was fleeing Nazi Germany, he was 15 years old and he understood everything perfectly. And nobody heard from him then that it was necessary to adopt to the Nazis instead of fleeing them or fighting them. So, you know, he was like not didn't seem to be uh, accepting it. But one of the things that I'll posit, and again, this is just just my kind of theory for the moment, because we I think many of us recognize that Zelensky is a pawn of sorts. You know, he's a former actor. He's, he's just been put in this position to serve a role. The West, much like we saw with Juan Guaido in Venezuela, has been like trying to prop him up. And, you know, he's he's going to be the one to lead the way. And all this sort of thing. And we're seeing that that's not necessarily going maybe according to plan or, and, and maybe even potentially whatever this whole, the whole purpose of this agenda was, whatever Putin's thinking and whoever he's really working for. Cause obviously we know he's apparently part of the young global leaders program. He spent yeah. time with Kissinger. He spent time with the same Zionist. He's not totally outside of this cabal, you know, people um, that, as you said, there might be things going on. We don't see. And I could imagine a situation where, Maybe Zelensky's um, uh, his his usefulness is starting to wear out, you know, to mm-hmm. people like the Kissingers because Kissinger could be just, you know, maybe he's he's already done his time and whoever's at the top of the pyramid has kind of set him out to pasture and he does, you know, he's not privy to all the secrets anymore. But I would suspect he still plays a major role and that his words still have big sway, especially because in this particular context of this speech, he's giving this speech virtually, but he's speaking to the audience of the World Economic Forum, which he knows is all these power players. And he's also had been introduced to his student, Klaus, by his student, Klaus Schwab. So in, in some way, he's telling them as well, like, hey, yeah. this is what we need to do. Now, whether or not that's where things go, we'll see. But if indeed these, you know, this predator class has found that Zelensky is no longer useful, or he has, you know, kind of a expended his usefulness, then perhaps this was a way of saying like, hey, you know what, it's it's time to end the Mm. operation. And uh, he's like kind of flailing his arms like, hey, what the heck are you talking about? But hey, we we, we know that whenever people are, when they're done with people, they have no problem casting them aside. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the history is very clear on that. And, you know, so and and to, to the other side of this statement that we're looking at right now is also very clearly pointing at them and saying, well, they're the new Nazis, right? Those are the two points being made right there. Exactly. Kind of sympathizing with them right now. If he doesn't realize it, that's kind of a dig, but also that obviously they're the current iteration of the Nazis and which is all of that's just ridiculous. Now I want to play a, the clip that, of what Zelensky actually said while at this, the meeting. And I find it really interesting because this is kind of the idea for me. Well, first of all, the thought that I had was that this seems to be sort of like the financial arm of the larger, like, you know, we have the COVID-19 kind of infrastructure building out of the Great Reset future. This has seen trillions of dollars flowing back and forth around Ukraine. So is that just like, you know, this is money laundering, essentially. So that might just be the whole point. And this, this, what he actually said at this meeting speaks to that. I think this is the correct clip. I hope so. Let me see. The ones that we are fighting not to lose in Ukraine. I would wish that every one of you wakes up in the morning 
with this feeling in the head, like, what have I done for Ukraine today? Thank you. Right. So he basically at the yeah it is the correct one, and it is stereotypical green shirt because he's right off the front lines every time, right? But the point the point is that he's you know he's saying you should wake up in the morning as anybody outside of Ukraine and ask what have I done for Ukraine today? <laughs> what a strange thing to say. So my point is ultimately that I feel like this is just about getting people this mentality of, of sending everything at your own expense across over to in the guise of fighting for freedom in Ukraine. When really, it's funding something larger. You know, there's a lot of money changing hands behind the scenes that we don't really see. Just thought that was very interesting. Any thoughts on that before we jump into another topic? No, I think that's a great point to make there. And overall, I do think that the media is still pushing the kind of support Ukraine, Russia, Nazis narrative. Um, That might continue again for... I think it's important, I'll say, for us to recognize the things we don't know at this moment, right? Because none of us truly know why the whole Russian thing even happened yet at this point, you know, if it, you know, we, I, we don't know what these people have planned, but I do think we might be looking on this comment from Kissinger in the coming months and, and real, and then maybe we'll realize what was, you know, at play at the time. That's always good advice. We always need to be okay. Walking away from something going, we don't know. Right. And you can have your theories, yeah. but today that's something that they just like squeezed out of everybody. You got to pick a side before you walk away from a conversation is what people tend to feel like. But let's jump around a little bit because I kind of want to end with censorship. I definitely feel like that's a, a very clear ongoing topic that spans from long before we started this to at, long after. But let, let's unless you want to jump in the direction, let's jump over to Pfizer and vaccines. And because and, this is that was, that's fine. an obvious transition, you know, and, and I think this is the important part of how we see these pieces fitting together. And it doesn't always have to be that way. Like, I'm just trying to look for connections and I definitely think they're there. But you know, be objective about it. But I think that fi- the, the idea of the vaccine, the biosecurity state, and where Pfizer's going into this, which ties to a lot of the things we'll talk about in a minute, climate change and everything else, are are very revealing. And I think it's it's literally a house of cards collapsing behind us right now. And I think that's one of the reasons why they're so desperate to point forward. But what did you find that was the focal point of their discussion at at the uh, the meeting, Davos 2022? Well, I'll say one thing, and I didn't include this in the article because it's just, you know, it's like a funny little tidbit. But mm-hmm. I I could tell that at least again, like if what we're seeing is actually their thoughts and if they're really publicly speaking honestly, right? And and what we're seeing is not some all, you know, just some big act in order to put out into the public. And and the reason I kind of preface that is because um just like you said a moment ago, we have to be willing to step away from conversations sometimes and, and be able to admit, like, hey, we don't have the full picture. We don't know all the, you know, the information yet. I think we also need to you know, hold in our mind the potential that much of what these people say publicly is designed to get us to perceive one way or the other. Right. So uh, just with with that caveat, um, it was funny to see Bill Gates complaining that there wasn't enough attention on the pandemic and the vaccine. There was funny to see the Pfizer guy complaining that people don't want their vaccines. I mean, like, I think that, again, unless that's just some silly thing, they're throwing us a bone to make us feel good, that that might likely be representative of the the victories, however small they may be, that we have been having the last couple of years. And I'll even acknowledge that um, I was just reading an article the other day, the New York Times published about a week and a half ago about the the new frontier of the vaccine movement. And the the long and short of the article is just they interview some doctors complaining that, you know, I used to tell my 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 patients, 
I would give him advice and say, go to check the CDC website and they would listen. He's like, but now my credentials aren't enough to convince people. And when I tell them to check the CDC, they call me a shill. And it was just, you know, it's like the New York Times is even having to report that like people are rejecting the vaccines and they were saying like, I don't think this is going to go away. We think it's increased. So my point with that is it is nice every now and then to see these people acknowledge like bill gates he was kind of one of the panels i can't remember which one he was they were talking about some topic that was irrelevant to the things he wanted to talk about and he was almost even like arms crossed like a little kid saying like well you know i think we're a little distracted right now and we haven't been paying enough attention to that the pandemic's going to come back he's like yeah i'm sure he's just so mad that people are paying attention to ukraine and whatever else and he's just like but guys guys the pandemic you know vaccines so I think that's a you know a little it's, you know a little humor, but I think it's it's worth acknowledging that they seem to be frustrated for sure. Um, yeah, and I agree. And the the Pfizer CEO Albert Alberta Borla mentions that. And what I put in here is that you know he they were hosting a panel and Pfizer announced that they're going to start giving away all their future patent protective medicines on a not for profit basis to forty five yeah. low income nations around the world. Which to me, it, like I have the opposite reaction of maybe you know, people who in the mainstream who hear that and think, oh, great, now all these poor people are going to get vaccines and be safe. I'm thinking, great, they're going into more developing nations to try to vaccinate people who don't know what is even going on, who have, you know, lack of education about what it is they're going to be being shot up with. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Well, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it doesn't, you, you can go to that, and I wouldn't even call it an extreme, but you can go to that that part of it and just in, and feel that this is like the next step of an agenda to, you know, and so on, depopulation. You know, there's a lot of valid things to think about. But even before you get to that point, I mean, we're talking about something that is literally still being pushed forward under emergency authorization, something that is currently being discussed at high levels of Congress anywhere in the world about whether or not they're even safe. Just because they keep yelling you down, saying safe and effective, there's a, there, it's being debated in the world stage, or I guess maybe not the world stage, but in national level governments, and yet they're jumping forward. This is like jumping forward to the next mRNA injection. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We haven't even proved out that this is even effective and safe now as much as they keep saying that so when they jump over to these other countries even from a surface level point that's way too fast you know what i mean we're or how about the fact that we're talking about an injection that is right now according to their narrative based on a genetic code sequence from a time when they hadn't isolated if they ever did that has never changed variants yeah. whatever else all this stuff has changed ryan cole just talked about this fauci's even mentioned this in the past before now you're giving them something that produces antibodies for something that's no longer in front of them i mean this is just ridiculous crazy town now and they're going to yeah. dump it over in africa give them all the shots it's crazy and i think the reason you see this resistance over in places like that is because they have seen the way these things work in india absolutely and, and and i think to your point you know about um taking them and dumping them in Africa, which is where they're mainly headed to. Uh, I think that on the World Economic Forum, it actually lists the countries and it was mainly South American, Latin American countries, African countries, some uh, Southeast Asian countries, uh, you know, places that might not have the the people who might not have the education or the, uh, you know, just the ability to really kind of wrap their minds about what they're facing and that they might be being told, hey, all those first world people they welcome the vaccines. They got them. They're all vaccinated. Now it's your turn, right? I mean, they're probably getting the same propaganda numbers. Um, but I, I did mention the article, and I think this is important. Again, if we had real media there, maybe this question would be asked. But the CEO of Pfizer gets to go up there and talk about, hey, we're giving away free vaccines for 45 countries. Uh, you know, he did a clip. There's another one going around from years ago about him talking about, you know, having the pill that they can track mm -hmm. people with. 
And then in this one, like I said, he's complaining about the, you know, the uh, people who don't want to, the uneducated people who don't want to take the vaccines. But at no point in this discussion, as you were just saying, they're rushing forward to expand it. At no point in this discussion is it even acknowledged that there's already been adverse reactions. You know, nobody right. asked them about that. Like, Admitted. It's, just, it's, it's just to me. And, and yeah, now we're finding out, as, as I'm sure you've been reporting on, now that their documents are coming, their own Pfizer documents have been coming out the past couple months in, in lawsuits. You know, their own records are showing injuries to children, to babies, to pregnant women, et cetera. You know, and where's the discussion on that? It's just these things right. are really frustrating to me, to say the least. Me as well. And and here to, to add to your point about going overseas, I mean, not not just that these people were are, and I promise you that's going to happen because we're, we're being lied to. We're being fear mongered as their own documentation shows. We need to scare them to do this. They're going to go overseas and say, yeah, they all took it and you're dumb if you don't. That's what they're telling us in reverse. But on top of that, We've seen how this goes in places like India and Africa, where we hear that we're helping them for free. That's not even remotely how that actually works, where, where in fact, they're not getting, it's not free. Pfizer wouldn't just dump free things. They're getting money somehow. That's usually going to come from some kind of a, you know, whether it's NIH or USAID or NED or you know, NIH, excuse me, NED or these different supposed non-government organizations, you know, this money will swing back around in some way. And it's usually then taken from these countries in some sort of equitable exchange where we're going to do this, but we're going to need to take this or, you know, like an invasion of countries. And then we're going to, you know, steal your resources to defray the cost of helping you. You know, this is how this works. And so my point is they're going to probably end up in situations where they're going to go, oh, well, you need to take this or you're not going to get your credit, your, your food for this, which again shows you how in that part of the world, they're already sort of stepping into the, you know, here we're helping you, but now you have like tokens and credits and different things for food, or that's where they're going with this, but it's a, it's a tangible thing, but it's only one step away to well, now it's on your phone. You know, you don't, you don't have enough credits for food today because you didn't do this kind of thing. It's very clear where this is going. And again, that's what they say they're building. It's not a conspiracy theory when they're openly talking about it, but Absolutely. to the point, these things are going to continue to be pushed around in order to continue this agenda, in my opinion. But uh, last point on the Pfizer vaccines point of this, how prominent did you feel this seems in the discussion of Davos World Economic Forum? Because I think from our perspective, it seems like a kind of a linchpin of where that seems to be going. That's my opinion. But what, what did you feel the, from their discussions? Like as far as the vaccines or the pandemic itself? Yeah, the whole point, the whole thing. Like, because obviously the, the Great Reset on the surface discussion has no, there's not a vaccine part of it, or, you know, but sure. it, you can clearly see how those two things tie together and the infrastructure, absolutely. but when in their discussions th and their meetings, how prominent did it feel to you? I think it, it's, it's absolutely uh, prominent in there because even if you, I was just before our conversation, looking at the world economic forum website again, and seeing some of the things they've posted since the Davos, since their, their meeting ended. And, you know, they, they've been posting updates since then. Like, Hey, here's highlights of what we focused on. And it's clear that the vaccine, you know, of course, this is what we were talking about earlier. They talk about inclusivity, equity, et cetera. This is the main equity issue that they talk about. We need to make sure that vaccines are equitable, that they're able to get, like we were just saying to Africa, to these other countries. So that is a big part of the message. But then also the other aspect of it that I think is important. And I did kind of touch on how Bill Gates and others, they were having panels about the next pandemic that, in my mind, after, you know, we're two years into this now, that the pandemic narrative is needed not only to bring on the full-on biosecurity state, which has a lot of benefits for them, but one of those benefits would be the implementation of the digital ID. You know, we, we've been right. talking about the vaccine passport, and we know for sure that the digital ID is a big part of the Great Reset and the CBDCs. So to me, that even if the, the pandemic is just a gateway 
to scare people and take away rights and kind of get them comfortable with carrying around a thing that they have to show to get into places. Ultimately, it is the gateway to the digital ID. And the digital ID is a massive, 100% crucial component to the great reset world they're trying to create. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, that, that's really a good highlight for those that may be new to the conversation of the overlap there. You know, the the vaccine passport's needed to stop the, the virus. And that's, well, the digital ID is needed for the vaccine passport. Well, the digital ID is used for social credit. And, you know, it just, it pushes in that same direction. And then, of course, it's all still right there to when they flip back into the next, you know, a little refresher course. Oh, we're still in danger for viruses. Here's the new thing. You know, get, this is where that seems to go. And again, organic, if you want to think of it that way, it could just be the next opportunity they want to hype using PCR tests and so on. But yeah, the digital ID, that that is an obvious linchpin connector to all of this that's really, really alarming because that drives you into the sort of technocratic future where people like us and we'll get into the censorship part can just be turned off. You know, you're not doing the right thing, so you're going to get your access turned off to things like the internet and so on. And of course, your crypto discussion with, with the with blockchain technology, we can see how that was going to be used the same way. So it's very alarming to see. But I definitely think that the biosecurity state is not just about the Great Reset. Because I do believe that people like the Fauci's of the world are out there, you know, in the Wild West of genetic manipulation right now. And God knows what they're trying to do in regard to, you know, defense, you know, actually making weapons and actually carrying these things out. And where that actually goes is so far beyond most people's knowledge, including myself, that it becomes really alarming. So let's make sure we don't forget about that part for the audience out there. The, you know, genetic manipulation Absolutely. is kind of the science of the future for these people trying to play God, which, by the way, in a weird way, then ties back to transhumanism and the same conversation. But any thoughts? Yeah, on and I will. I will just say for anybody who's new to that topic, um, you can go to my my author page on Last American Vagabond. And I did an investigation a few months back about Ginkgo Bioworks and how that mm -hmm. whole genetic manipulation aspect comes in there. Ginkgo Bioworks is one of the companies that um, I can't even remember all the connections off the top of my head, but they're connected to the World Economic Forum, the same old people funding by the Gates Foundation. And these are some of the people, um, you know, we were doing this reporting in 2020, Ryan, whenever we were, I, this is when I got deleted off YouTube for talking about the injectables, the future of healthcare being wearables and injectables. These are a lot of the same companies. It's not just injectables in terms of like a chip, but it is some of that nanotech that a lot of people are afraid of. And mm -hmm. As right there, yeah. How does the, how does those kind of ideas? They call themselves the organism company. Uh, how do they fit into that biosecurity transhumanist agenda? So, if you want more background on that, you feel free to look into that. Yeah, and again, there's we could go on forever about these overlaps because this is the interesting part. And you keep like tripping in the new ones you didn't think about. You know, whether we're talking about you know the the the, the ingestible pill that he talked about years back. You know, and about how, oh, we can track to make sure that they took what they're supposed to. And of course, in that discussion, they're referring to people that are mentally unstable and so on. But you can see where that tends to go when they consider you mentally unstable because you don't agree with the injection. You know, it's it's an obvious kind of scary direction. But this goes into the microchip discussion, the implantables, the way that this can be used in far more various ways, or even the reality, in my opinion, which is where we already are, smart dust which I swear is already being used. It's, you know, discussions for 10, 15 years now of things that are the 15th, the size of a, a, a sheet of paper that are, that were existing 10 years ago. Like let's pretend like they wouldn't have already tried to apply that in some way. You know, it's alarming stuff, but anyway, I, I could smart, talk about that forever. Smart dust keeps me up at night. <laughs> I mean, it probably literally does. I mean, it's yeah, like, who knows, right? It's it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a topic that really, I've done a lot of shows on if people want to know more about it. It always interests me because to clarify my point, in 2000, I think it was five, this, these people were giving these massive discussions about how this has been around for 10 years or maybe 2011, it's been around for five, 10 years. 
And it's stuff that is so small that you wouldn't know it was there. It can run on your body's own motion. And these weren't like fringe discussions. These were high level, like university level conversations. And this stuff's been around for a decade, you know, and then think about what could be applied in vaccines and yeah. so on, whether or not it's happened. Yeah. They have discussions about how that stuff can be used. I mean, and then yeah. go, go I, ahead, I, I've, I've had, I've had this sneaking suspicion and this is like a whole conversation for, for another day, but I've had a sneaking suspicion that, um, uh, some of the, that spraying that, you know, many people are worried about has something to do with that smart dust, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a very valid concern. I mean, this is where you get into that weird discussion of, you know, it's conspiracy theory. Well, okay. It exists, right? That they, they openly talk about the technology. So it is there. They, they could, and are producing things that are that small that could be used in the sky. We do know that they are doing this now for climate change. They're geo, you know, geoengineering, cloud seeding. So why then to ask, especially when you find out later that they've done many things over the years that they didn't really tell you about because it was for your best interest, that they might not just spray these things thinking that it's going to stop this or do that for your best. I mean, it's why would that be called conspiracy theory? Every part of that checks out as being possible, yet we dismiss it. That's every everything we talk about. Absolutely. Yep. The next pandemic is where this seems to go. And we could maybe dance over to the monkeypox article. You wrote about this as well. I, I, yeah, I, I think uh, I think what I would like to do, if you're cool with it, I know you want mm -hmm. to play another clip. I think that the next pandemic, let's hold off on that a second until we get okay. into the monkeypox. But the other things I really do want to mention, and I hope everybody will go through and uh, read this yourselves because there's there's some little bits in there. But uh, we, we, as expected, climate change was a big topic you know you had john Kerry there you had the china's uh special envoy for climate change saying it's time for action words are not enough and more uh, i quoted uh, john Kerry because he said it he said that radical change radically changing our economic system and our reliance on fossil fuels and he specifically said this was going to happen over the next eight years and he also said quote we have the technology to change we just need the political will which means they need to force the people right. and he said if we can harness this we can still avoid the forced effects so uh, i think that was to me the reason i wanted to include that in there is because it's just a reminder for anybody who hasn't made the connection it's 2022 and they talk about 2030 you know so he's literally saying like it's time for us to start radically changing the economic system and uh you know the it's the, the entire world really basically the way that we live our lives so i think that's more of an indication of that and then of course there was talks about um Climate, uh, carbon removal. There was this discussion about uh, ESG criteria, the environmental, social, and governance criteria, which I've covered in previous articles, which I think we can safely say, um, while they are promising, it's, it's only going to be criteria that applies to how corporations run their businesses and how equitable they are, how good are they to the environment? Uh, do they have a diverse board of directors, all that kind of stuff? It's. I think it's. It's clear to me. It's been made more and more clear to me that that type of criteria is going to be applied to us as individuals, as just you know, regular people, not f just for the corporations. And once that is in place, it'll become the the foundation of the the social credit score. So they had mentions of all of these things, and there was uh, Bill Gates, you know, involved in a lot of this. I mentioned that they had launched a uh, what they called the First Movers Coalition, which is just another big eight and a half trillion dollar project by 10 different governments and 50 corporations saying that they're going to start removing carbon from the environment. And, you know, I don't know where that's going to go specifically, but I just made note of it because you have everybody from Alphabet, Google's parent company, Microsoft, um, all these other major corporations, FedEx, Ford Motor Company. Uh, you could go, you know, just so many of these important big companies. And then you had this Norwegian CEO, uh, this woman who was speaking on one of these panels and and pretty much 
you've probably already played the clip, but if you haven't, feel free to play it. You know, just making it clear they don't care what you have to deal with. Like this transition is going to happen. As John Kerry said, you have eight years to radically transform the economic system, radically transform the environment. And okay, if you got to deal with a little bit of pain, inflation, energy shortages, food shortages, it's worth it, according to these people. And you know what's really revealing about that? And this is why it's so clumsy right now is that so they're telling you the process, which they will alter in other parts of the conversation, admit they're already in the middle of. Right. We're already doing this. That process will cause food shortages, economic problems, blah, 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 blah. But then going. But that's not what's happening. It's all Putin. It's all Putin and Omicron. That's what's causing all these problems. But we're we're simultaneously admitting that what we're currently doing can cause these things. It's just ridiculous. This is where people choose not to acknowledge the obvious because they're politically invested. Do you want me to play the clip? I'll go, I'll go ahead and play it. I don't know if it's yeah, go uh, for it. loud enough. We need to accept that there will be some pain in the process. Uh, the pace that we need will, uh, will open up for missteps. Uh, it will open up for uh, shortages of energy. It will create inflationary pressures. And maybe we need to start talking about that, that that pain is actually worth it. Because if we don't, uh, there's no business case. There's no economy. There's there's no welfare. But but so far, I think we are have been a little bit careful actually talking about the pain in the short term that is likely to come from from the from this the very important yeah. change. Yeah. There's so many hypotheticals in there, like or whether this will actually amount to what they say it will, whether they'll actually end up there because of varying agendas and and, and facets of this. But on top of it, just the, the main point. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say. I think that in addition to what you're saying there, that I it's. She said two key things to me. She said, "We were for one, she's kind of like chastising the rest of the, the, the interviewer and the rest of the panel and saying, we're not talking about this enough. So on one hand, she's almost saying like, yeah, of course, she's on their side. And she's like, yeah, we need to make rapid changes. But we're not talking enough about the inflationary changes that are going to come. We're not talking about the energy shortages that are going to happen. It's, and it's going to be painful. It's worth it. But still, we should probably talk about this a little more. And so, again, if you're an average person who has no idea what the World Economic Forum, you don't got time to pay attention to these meetings, to listen to hundreds of hours of their rambling nonsense, then that message is not likely going to be reported to you by the New York Times, the CNN, right. all the people who are there. They're not telling you, hey, world leaders are warning that it's time to get prepared for energy shortages and you know economic pain, but they say it's worth it. <laughs> you know, So these are the kinds of things... These are the kind of things that are just totally left out of the average person's awareness. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. Well, and you know, so the idea is, you know, and and as everybody would point out, I mean, the the, the sheer hubris of this to to act like you not only have the ability to do this, regardless of being an elected official for the world, or but the fact that that this is what people actually want. Like, just because you think it's worth it, like, what if I don't want that direction? You know, so I then I get to take the negative side of this and then I get to go in a direction I don't want. Like, why? this is a very, this is a transition to, you know, you're the, you're the plebs, you're the peons, you have no say in this, you're too dumb to know what's going on. We're going to come right out and basically say that these days that we know better than you. So just sit back and let us create this. And all of that hinges on the assumption that what they're actually driving toward, what they say they're driving toward is what they're actually doing. You know, it just this this is the creation of a world where we don't have any say as if we actually do right now. This is just the shifting of the narrative, in my opinion. It's quite alarming. I agree completely. Yeah, this is the shifting of that narrative. And the only other point I really want to make on that, I again, I want to encourage everybody to just 
dig in a little bit yourself is we had the point I mentioned the ESG criteria again we've had conversations prior if that's something that's new to you environmental social and governance criteria in ESG investing that whole topic Mm -hmm. I've done an investigation on that about social credit scores and social impact finance that you guys can check but what it really comes down to is just um, them creating the foundation for what will be social credit scores and in kind of implementing that track and trace society and so that next tweet there that I included was the uh, head of Alibaba, who, for those who don't know, Alibaba is like a really major company, just as big as Amazon in China and elsewhere. And they had the CEO, the president, talking about how they're developing an individual carbon footprint tracker. And, uh, you know, I thought that was interesting. You know, you can you can hear how, what he says there. He's basically saying this is going to tell where you go, what you eat and how you travel. But then I also found in that same talk, he discussed how his business, they have what he said was we have an it, they called it a map. I don't know if that's you know how to spell it, but he said it's a map. And he said this this program, which they plan to release soon, will calculate the best route for you to take. So just like a Google Maps or something, but it'll take into consider like these different environmental factors, and it's going to give you the most efficient route and the most efficient form of transportation, and tell you like okay, well if you want to get from point A to point B, the most environmentally friendly way to get there would be to take a bike and take this route, or to take an Uber and go this way, and you know this kind of car or whatever, and then they'll give you that option. And if you take advantage of these recommendations, then you get bonus points, you know, you get a little reward, and then you can use that in the Alibaba kind of ecosystem at their different websites mm-hmm. and stores. And so, he, you know, he's saying this is incentivizing people to do the right thing. You still have the choice at the moment to make the wrong, the quote unquote wrong choice, but they're incentivizing you through the point system to make the right one. And that's really how it is, is they're treating us like children. They're trying to give people uh, you know, so, you know, these little bonus points and rewards and get some money off your insurance this month. If you let us track your driving and all those kinds of things, this right. is just sort of further expansion of that. And and who and who gives them the right to decide what's the right and wrong choices? You know, and th- this is just that same level of just they are your betters and they make these choices. But what, as we've talked about before, I believe. Is that this is obviously the first step is what like a great example you just laid out right there is the insurance and driving. We've seen that before a long time ago, right? It's it's this gamification of the whole process. And now what they're saying there is that, well, yeah, we'll give you a benefit if you go along with this. But it, how long until it becomes, well, there's a negative if you don't, right? And and this is the social engineering direction there. And, and the point is, and I want this to be heard as I, I say this often. I don't say it after every point because it becomes it, it, frustrating, but just it's always about the choice. Now, I, 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 this stuff scares me. Like the very premise of it, of these powerful elitists out there deciding and dictating and, you know, laying these kind of apps for creating this kind of stuff. It's still about choice. So as long as this was never forced on anybody, you could argue there'd be benefits to this to some degree. Oh, go ahead and track this and do that and make sure you're being better for the environment. But the moment that they then make it so you have to do it, or if you don't, there's negative effects. That's what we're all talking about. I can still see the danger in that, even if it's by, uh, you know, your choice to admit to do it. But again, it's injections, vaccine, the whole thing. It's all about whether or not we're being forced to do it. And in every case, they're forcing people. And that's what shows you this. And this is the next step, in my opinion. So, I mean, I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think that's what's going to happen next? I do think, I mean, for for my mind, you know, the more and more I've uh, become aware of these things, I can even see how um, the reward points at the grocery stores are part of the same stuff. Like, you know, that's one of the first ways that many of us have gotten used to this idea. Again, there's nothing wrong with having like a members club and, you know, giving people, you know, even independent media sometimes does that, you know, be a part of our club and you get rewards and whatever. Like I get that idea, but it's clear that 
I guess in my mind, this is the ultimate example of how these people understand human psychology and the whole carrot and stick thing, right? Like they're just yeah. holding the carrot over people's heads. Like, hey, you get some bonus points. You get some, you get five bucks off your dinner. Just tr- let us track everywhere you go and let us make your decisions about which path you take and this and that. And, and I, I've talked, I know we've talked about this in previous uh, interviews, probably around one of the articles I wrote about uh, algorithms and AI and stuff. But I just want to reiterate the point that many people especially people listening to this, you probably are already making, allowing these, these algorithms and these systems to make choices for you. If like many of us, like most of us are, if you live your life following only where Google tells you to go, where Google maps tells you to go, you're already letting the algorithms make decisions for you. And so if you've become accustomed to that in a very subtle way, it might not, even if you're somebody like us who is very concerned and opposed to these things, it won't be that difficult for you to slip into a program like this, where they sell it to you as like, hey, it's just another map, but it's going to be, it's going to give you all the environmentally friendly, you know, ways to drive and get around and stuff like that. And you're going to get bonus points and you can go get free, you know, dinners and whatever else they offer you. Um, but in many ways, we're already handing our lives over to that. Uh, so I think the maps is the big, is one of the biggest ways, but obviously the other big way is search engines. Um, you know, Google, of course, is, is the worst offender in that regard. But because I mean, I've seen this, like, for example, just listening to conversations with people in the, you know, kind of outside of our circles, or even I was listening to a, a, the Joe Rogan podcast yesterday. He's talking to somebody and they talk about doing research and in their mind, you know, I'm glad they have some conversations they have, but in their mind, like, well, you know, I looked it up on Google and you know, this and that, or Wikipedia said this, you know, they're already kind of letting those different systems, which they don't question and say, mm-hmm. okay, but am I getting all the information that's available? Or if I'm letting this, this app tell me which direction to take, in the future, is this app going to tell me to go a certain way because it avoids meeting people that could help me, you know, you know, become more free, you know, things like that, all these different considerations that we have, we're not even thinking about, but this, but these AI and the, the, uh, the social media companies, they have so much data about us that if you feed this into a, a program that is going to start dictating people's choices of why they should go this way and for this thing, for that thing, they're going to promise us it's for the benefits. But the other unseen thing is, they could be making choices and or encouraging us to make choices because they know that it'll keep us from connecting with certain people, which yeah. could in turn, you know, change things. You know, what if what if there are certain people that just by meeting the, the connection and the friendship and the partnership could lead to all kinds of new projects that could help hundreds of millions of people. Right. And somehow the AI can, you know, factor that in just based on their sort of social media profiles, their characteristics, their habits, everything they know about them. And with that knowledge could make a choice to say, let's make sure these two people never cross paths. I'd be willing to, I'd be willing to argue that's literally have been happening for a long time and maybe not as specific as two people. I've never even thought about that angle. That's really interesting. And that perfectly makes sense. But these things are already happening. Like how about, I mean, I've read articles about this and just the discussion of things as simple as, you know, they want to promote certain businesses. So you'll find that your maps redirects itself weirdly. And you're like, wait a minute, I didn't pick that route. And you happen to be going by some big festival that they want you to see or some new store that was put in. Absolutely. Or take it even further. Cause that's just like financial benefit kind of stuff, which is a little slimy, but we see that everywhere in advertising. How about we take it to the logical conclusion of where we currently are and say, well, they're going to take you away from these certain stores that you want to go to because they don't, they don't force to wear masks or they're, they don't have a vaccine mandate or, you know, the, or any direction you could plausibly take this in. I promise you it's to some level already happening. Like that's why they're doing these things. And as Derek pointed out, I mean, these algorithms, 
they've discussed this in regard, I mean, talking about Elon Musk and Twitter and all these different things, they've discussed how using these algorithms with how much we put out there, which is also part of the manipulation, you know, triggering your social media and your, I went here, checking in at this restaurant, you know, doing all this different stuff, they can pretty much map and put to a really high percentile predict what you will do tomorrow at 2 p.m., which is pretty Absolutely. crazy to think about, you know, and so that's what all this amounts to. Now, on, on the, the point of the tweet we're looking at, just the carbon, how about we even ask the idea of whether more carbon is actually even a negative thing for the planet? Like these re- fundamental conversations that there are plenty of intelligent, high-level people out there that will challenge this and be like, well, that's not actually accurate. I recommend somebody like Tony Heller for that conversation. But, it, you know, these are things that we just take at face value. So it's – and this is to the point to what you said about the Joe Rogan show is they are convinced – I don't want to just call it them. I, I didn't see the show. But most people are convinced about that doing research is trusting what the authority figures say. Well, I looked at the CDC page and it said this, so I'm done doing my research. Same kind of thing. If you start at the premise that they have the authority to make these calls and go forward, you're you're starting at a negative, bad foundation, in my opinion. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, uh, feel free to play that clip if you want to. I don't know if people have already seen it or if you've aired that one. We're developing through technology an ability for consumers to measure their own carbon footprint. What does that mean? That's where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. Doesn't seem to be, sorry if that was a low clip. Doesn't seem to be too much resounding clapping after that. (laughs) No, but I think I, I, I appreciate the, I don't think they fully understand how crazy some of the things they talk about are like maybe, you know, like for example, in our own circles, we can spend too much time in a little bubble and then you, you forget how some, sometimes we are a little bit outside of the main, you know, it doesn't mean we're wrong or anything like that. Or there's anything wrong with us, but the conversations and the things that most of us talk about are not things that the average person is talking about. I feel like they're sort of the reverse of that. These are the people yeah. up in their, they're flying in their jets. They're up in their little rich bubble and planning, you know, to manipulate the world. And, you know, they realize there's cameras on them and everything, but maybe they don't even think of how obvious these things sound. It's like, oh, yeah, it's going to tell you where you go, what you eat, where you travel, all this stuff. Like, And, and he's just kind of like looking at us like, wow, how come nobody's cheering? Why are people not excited about this? Yeah, that's a great point to make, you know, because it kind of speaks to the idea that not everybody is in the, you know, whatever you want to call it, the know, the, the inner circle, that they're just, you know, part of the, they may genuinely believe what they're doing is for the right reasons or or whatever, or that people would want this, or just that it doesn't matter what you want, because this is the right thing for the planet. Like, whatever their logic is, it's obviously, there's so many reasons to be concerned about where this goes. That's why I kind of laid that on the beginning, from the surface level, all the way down to the worst conspiracy theory concept you can discuss. At any level of that conversation, this is alarming. Right? They're, they're planning your future, as I put in the title, whether you like it or not. You know, that, that's what that's what concerns me the most about this is that a lot of people out there, that's to your point. They think that we're crazy because we're pointing out what they're doing. They're like, well, yeah, I hear them, too. But they just don't stand back and recognize that what they're laying out there is is, you know, it's it's on the surface, removing your ability to make your own decisions. Even if you think that's the right thing, which is a whole other conversation, you know. To, no, Absolutely. To, to bring it to the next one, uh, the, the digital bank cur- currency, which we kind of already talked about, central bank digital currencies. But this yeah. – go ahead. I mean, I was just going to say, I think that we've we've covered that one probably at length uh, as much as, you know, in past conversations. But the, the couple of points I made there was just, again, to reemphasize that they had the head of the IMF there 
They've got the head of the Bank of Thailand, the head of the Central Bank of France, um, the uh, the chairman of the board of directors at Credit Suisse. So they're getting some pretty powerful financial people there to talk about central bank digital currencies. And, um, you know, they're making it clear that they don't think Bitcoin is real money or that cryptocurrencies are, quote, not a reliable method of payment. So they're they're making it clear that their their product, the CBDCs, central bank digital currencies is going to be. Um, you know, what will be used. And there's a little clip there of like the head of Credit Suisse saying that um, that they're planning on having the central bank digital currencies within five years, within the next five years. And that's why I was saying I tried to keep hammering this point home to people. I know that many people are familiar with Agenda 2030, but, you know, those numbers aren't just like some random numbers attached mm-hmm. to that. That's a year. That's 2030, you know, and it's 2022 that we're already halfway. We're at six months into this year. So time is moving pretty quickly. And these people... Um, they met two weeks ago. What a, what a couple of months ago they met for the World Government Summit. There's similar people meeting for the Bilderberg Group this weekend. Um, these these plans are being rolled forward, and so even if something as crazy as central bank digital currencies, digital IDs, and social credit scores just fa- sounds so far out of like your awareness, and you're like, yeah, I hear you. Maybe in 20 years. No, no, no. They're not planning for 20 years. They're planning for five to eight years. Like that is what they're working on right now to roll out in the coming years. And that's important for people to understand. That's a great point that I try to make all the time in regard to, you know, like the fourth industrial industrial revolution conversation is that they, the way they, they kind of frame these for the average person is the, 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 jo- the kind of joke analogy I make about like reading uh, boys life more kids about the flying cars, you know, you're like, that's so cool. But in your mind, you're like, that's like never, that's like a hundred years from now, you know, that kind of idea. And so that's how people see that. Oh, cool. This stuff and, and social credit score, you know, like uh, this is the future not tomorrow or literally being built around you right now. And that's kind of like his clip that I might as well just play it now since I had it queued up to play is that, you know, what they will talk about. And to this clip itself, the idea is that this is something that they're telling you and that Klaus Schwab has been telling you is going to happen during the fourth industrial revolution. And that was before. Now he's making the discussions rounds and he's telling you we're in the fourth industrial revolution right now. That's what's happening. So we need to put those things together or this, that they're talking about the future, where it's going to go. And I want to make a comment about the cryptocurrency before, but let's play this clip real quick. What the fourth industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. The difference of this fourth uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you. If you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example, it's you who exactly. are changed. Yeah. And of yeah. course, this has a big impact on yeah. your identity. Yeah. It is important to use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity so people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world which we had um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal in the old fashion. This is, uh, let's say, fiction. It will not happen. Um, the the uh, cut which we have now um, is much too strong uh, in order not to leave traces. Right, just coming right out and telling you, like, that's your life is going to be different, you know, way down the line. No, he's talking about right now, like, literally right now. But yeah, good. You know, I was going to say, I, I just happened to look on Rockfin. I just want to share this comment. There was a, a commenter on there that said, 
in, in relation to the conversation we were just having, they said, my niece is flying to South Carolina next week. And I looked at her itinerary and it listed her carbon footprint. So oh, they're already wow. starting to list these things for people. You know, it's not, again, it's totally voluntary. They just want it to get into your head so that people want to have, yeah, I want a Fitbit that tells me how much carbon I'm using. And right. I want a thing like that so that they're accustomed to that idea. So then once there's the social credit score that says, oh yeah, I already used up my carbon footprint for the day. I can't drive anymore. Sorry guys. You know, they're already accustomed to kind of tracking and monitoring their carbon and their output and all that stuff. Yeah. And the, and the cryptocurrency will make it even easier. And of course they can then turn that off if you don't do what you're told or don't have the right score. It's not that you just aren't supposed to go buy it. You literally can't go buy it, right? It's That's the, the system being built. What's interesting to me about this crypto, the, the digital bank, uh, uh, I, I don't know why I have trouble, <laughs> central bank digital currencies, it's interesting that they're literally going, oh, this don't, they're not real money and these aren't back. So what's the difference, right? You're, you're literally building the exact same thing, but going, the first ones don't count. Ours is the real thing. This is like them building GMO marijuana and be like, marijuana is dangerous, but here's our government version of it. That's totally worse, more dangerous, more problematic. But you know, it's, it's just interesting yeah. to me. Why do you, why do they think that makes sense? These same people were screaming down any crypto technology, blockchain technology, and now obviously using it which by the way they've been building this entire time there's you know that's yeah an interesting overlap yeah i'll just say add to that like i mean i think this is something we've gotten into in past conversations and i know that there are plenty of people in the audience that some are very divided on the use of crypto uh and when i say crypto again it's important to distinguish between crypto and digital currency like it's not necessarily the same thing what they are creating oh, is point, a central bank digital currency it's digital it will be it'll be using computers in a digital database but that doesn't mean it's done cryptographically, which is what cryptocurrency means. It's a cryptographic blockchain, privacy, you know, all those kind of things that are tend to be built into those types of systems are not going to be built into the central bank digital currencies that they're bringing out. And I think that's the key point is that, you know, she's uh, uh, George Eva from the IMF says Bitcoin may be called a coin, but it's not money. It is not a stable store of value. And so they try to emphasize that it's volatile right now. Right? And so it's, it's not good for people to invest in. But my feeling, and again, this is this is probably a bigger conversation for somebody who's a little more expert in the area. But my feeling is that the crypto markets are heavily, um, and this is not a controversial thing to say, but they're heavily manipulated more than likely by these same people in order to drive people away from private crypto use. So instead they say, you know, don't go to Bitcoin. Look at it, it's fluctuating every other day. It's up and down. You don't want that. No, use the central bank digital currency because it'll be stable. It'll be pegged to nothing, but it'll be stable. You know, like you said, it's not backed by anything. It's still, right. but they're going to promote it as like, no, but this is the real safe, you know, uh, store of value, not those cryptocurrencies that yeah. are private and we can't keep in touch. We can't track all of them. You know, no, we need to use the CBDC. And it's, it is really interesting because, you know, and just as you got anybody honest watching this knows that we've discussed in, in, in full detail that, you know, we have the same fears. I mean, the idea, like even just what people are even asking now, which is a valid question, was the entire idea of cryptocurrency something that was, was put out in the world to prime us for this next step? That's a fair question to ask, isn't it? I mean, it seems like a valid possibility. But in any case, it's funny. It's really silly that. Like, so they're going, no, it's not, it's not tied to anything. So it's no value, except here's also something tied to nothing. But because we're the government, there is value. It's just a flimsy argument. But so that's an, one question. And, and let me know if, it, again, you, you maybe don't want to get into it because there's not enough research there. But I, I thought this was the central bank digital currencies were rooted in blockchain technology. Am I wrong in that? Well, we don't know yet because there, the, we definitely know that the Federal Reserve, for example, the U.S. Central Bank is studying them. And we know that um, 
uh, the IMF and the World Economic Forum and these different organizations have called for studying CBDCs. And I, I think I included that in one of my recent articles. But mm-hmm. there's also some discussions on there talking about using um, different models. Like I can't think of the name off the top of my head, like different databases instead of blockchain. So we don't know. It might not even end up being on blockchain. A lot of people are really you know, terrified. They say that crypto and blockchain is the Trojan horse of the new world order or whatever. Well, they might not even end up using blockchain. But mm-hmm. whether they use blockchain or not, I don't think we would want to use the central bank digital currencies, right? Because at the end of the day, it is going to be a form of digital payment that will be tracked and traced that, as they said there, we'll know where you went, where you ate, who you went with and all that stuff. And yes, it will get to a point where like people worry about crypto now, people often tell me, well, what if they turn off your crypto? Well, that's kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of how crypto works because at the moment they can't turn off my crypto. I have it in a wallet on my own device. That's, you know, but if you have a wallet with the federal government and your money's in there, well, guess what? They can turn that off. If you got your money right. in a bank owned by the banking system, they can seize that. They can turn that off, right? Well, so there, there's definitely needs to be a lot more, um, I think, education around some of that. And I would just is. encourage people to go back to see some of the previous conversations we did uh, We did around like blockchains being the digital prisons and the smart cities. You know, We went pretty deep on some of those topics. I agree. I'll, I'll make sure to include that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's central bank. I mean, these are centralized ledgers, right? What, however that goes, they'll have the ability in this case, like to Derek's point, that's not the way it works right now in regard to the current crypto uh, currencies, the blockchain technology being used for, I mean, you, I, I, I mean, I'm not an expert in this. I would argue you could probably build something that would, it could be by somebody that could control it. Maybe I don't understand it. But in this case, as you're saying, we're talking about a government built system that can be, and I would argue the very purpose of it would be to be able to shut you off, to in ex- suddenly you cannot access these things through your wallet. You know, that's the, but it could just even be through the wallet you have to use to be able to get these things. It could just be the wallet Absolutely. that gets turned off, Absolutely. right? I mean, there's very clear ways. Go ahead. I mean, my, I'll just say I, that's what you said there. It's going to be through the wallet. And this is just my, um, you know, I think it's it's my theory at the moment, but not based on nothing. It's based on just studying all the, you know, all the information we have in front of us that, if the inflation continues and if the high food prices continue and the food shortages and the things people are dealing with, which at the World Economic Forum, they said, you know, we're in for some pain. It's going to get worse before it gets better, but it's going to be worth it. Right. Um, if those things continue and people do continue to suffer, we could see some new stimulus program. And we right. we thought we thought this might happen during COVID. It didn't happen yet. But where the, the stimulus would be dependent on a digital currency. I don't know if you remember this, but the first version of the COVID stimulus bill actually did include a measure that talked about creating a digital wallet and they ended up removing it. I did some reporting on it at the time, but they ended up removing that. So that shows that they're working on it. So my belief is that once they've got enough of the population sufficiently begging for help, food banks are starting to talk about not even having enough food to feed people in different parts of the country and other places in the world where people are already not doing too good, they're going to really be suffering. Right. And so if you get to that point, where people are literally begging for help, I think it would be easier to introduce like, hey, we're going to start giving you a universal basic income on a monthly basis, but you got to download this digital wallet to get it. Or, you know, the economy is crashing, everything's unstable. And the only way we can save it is to digitize everything. So we're going to turn all your money from the bank and you're not going to get cash anymore. Instead, you're going to have a new wallet that you can log into and all your digital money will be there. You know, I I, I don't think we're far off from something like that happening uh, in the coming year or two. I agree. I agree. And, you know, of course, because everything's being caused by Putin Omicron, right? It's just real easy to just dump all these things and say, oh, well, it's, you know, th- the point being is that these are actions that 
all, I mean, just, just most of what you discussed, you can tie back to the COVID-19 and that rationalization. Well, money's dirty, dangerous, get sick, you know, and all these things connect in the yep. different angles and it's just, they've driven you. And, and by the way, during COVID-19, they did remove a lot of cash flow from the circulation and all, the, all these things happen. It's just step by step by step. I'm seeing it more and more in Texas, man. I mean, just the month and a half, like the six weeks that I've been home back in the U.S. from Mexico, um, a number of, I mean, I would say five to 10 different restaurants that I used to regularly visit or place I've gone are now cashless. I've, I've made it clear like they're not accepted. And then I see it at the grocery stores too, especially in the bigger cities. You, you got like the self-checkout aisles, you know, and now it's like, say there's six little self-checkout aisles. Now half of them say they don't accept cash. And I imagine it's only going to be a little bit more time before none of them accept cash. Right. And so you can see these things happening. And like you said, COVID checked off those boxes. Cash is dirty. You know, we need to go digital. And when those things happen, back to my point at the beginning of the conversation about this conspiratorial worldview, you have to ask yourself, like, okay, if even if we don't always have the evidence, you can just use your own intuition and say, if the world is randomly unfolding through spontaneous events, then why, when something major happens, does it feed into every narrative that they want, right? Like, oh my God, this is just a total random pandemic. Oh, but it checks off the box for them to push towards digital currency in a cashless society. Oh, it allows them to take away more rights. It allows, you know, all these different things you start seeing. It's like, wow, these people got to be the luckiest people on earth, you know? It, yeah. It's it's really phenomenal. But I do have uh, probably 20, 30 minutes left, brother. So if you want to move to the next pandemic, yeah. I'm happy to. Yeah, we'll do that one last year and then maybe talk about monkeypox on the way out. But to your, to your point there, it's just that at the very least, you should be willing to stand back and consider that that could be the possibility. That's the problem with this conspiracy theory block for people is that we're not simply going, we can prove and know this is the case. We're just simply going, this is interesting. It could be the case. And if you're, if you look at that and go, Oh, nope, la la la, that's, that's the conspiracy I'm not supposed to look at. That's just blatant, willful ignorance. It definitely could be fake, but you should look at it first before trusting somebody else's opinion. I just think that's very obvious. But so we, the last two things in your, in your conversation here was the metaverse, which I do think is a really big one. I just, let me know if we have to just skip through some of this stuff, but then just censorship in general. So let me know where you want to start. Um, I'll just mention with the metaverse that what I was pointing out there is, and again, I've done a previous investigation about the great narrative in the metaverse, which is, I think, worth, worth uh, your time for those who are still kind of getting a grasp on what that is, because it's still very new to a lot of us. Um, but one of the people I focused on in that investigation was this woman, Peggy Johnson, who is the former CEO of Microsoft, who also was very involved with the ID2020 project, who is now the CEO of Magic Leap, who's one of the companies making the uh, goggles that you know they want to put people in the metaverse. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, they have on their board of advisors this guy, Neil Stevenson, who's the author who wrote the book that introduced the term metaverse. So there's like a lot of different connections there. But I found it interesting and not surprising that they're having that company out there because you've got magically Microsoft, um, obviously Google, and a few other companies that are seem to be the ones who are going to create the, you know, the, the next or the first phase of whatever will be the metaverse. And uh, yeah, they had panels about how do we make the metaverse inclusive and all that kind of stuff. But it's clear that the metaverse is a part of their picture of the coming years for sure. Yeah. Well, one real quick thing I actually forgot about that I wanted to grab real quick. I found this to be really interesting is that right now, the the idea of the inclusive nature and the way right now, just in case I can't find it, there's all these conversations about how the uh, allegations of abuse, sexual and otherwise, here it is on the inside the metaverse are just exploding right now. Here's here's the tweet that I was that I was going to use to show in a different in a new, new show. Disclosed TV points out disturbing accounts of sexual assaults in Zucker's new virtual metaverse are racking up. I just find that to be so completely expected. <laughs> you know, it's it, it this, not. 
Good. This thing doesn't even fully exist yet. <laughs> right. I mean, but the point is that people are, are, are going into like these different, like, um, you know, you can buy these Oculus things and there's these different like virtual worlds. It's, it's the, basically the first step of metaverse and that people are in these and they're tricking young girls and young boys to do weird things. Yeah. And it's like, it's just, this is exactly the problem of, I, I wonder whether or not this is a means to an end, like using this to then drive the the conversation forward. I honestly not even sure, but I just find it to be kind of interesting, but no, that uh, is interesting. And I think it's the, it's going to be, uh, those things are going to happen. That's definitely, I mean, even without the big picture technocracy kind of concerns, just from like, Hey, if you're a parent, you need to be aware of obviously what your kids are getting into in the internet. But when it comes to things like that, where people can be different avatars and pretend to be whatever yeah. they want, that's even you know more scary. And, and take that the, the logical next step is that it's not just these weird creeps that want to have a weird avatar. How about just what the government's doing in there to you, what they believe and what they think and subliminal advertising and God knows what else these things can do as your retinas up against this glass screen. <laughs> like, I mean, like you're just, I mean, think about, we know that TVs and different stuff, I mean, go so deep on how these things can be, you know, barely barely heard audio and what these things can actually do and influence your thoughts i mean this is absolutely i can't even extremely extremely low frequencies that's i think what you're referring to those and then ems i mean that's the whole another conversation about what the potential we we, i mean anybody who knows my work i did a whole documentary about 5g and emfs and we've got more than enough documented evidence of concerns around emfs from our computers to our cell phones to the whole digital soup we're swimming in now uh and what's going to be the effect of putting something like that directly attached to your head mm-hmm. for who knows how many hours a day people will spend in there. So there's definitely questions yeah. that need to be asked. Well, we definitely know this already. I mean, the new, newer generations, I mean, even people from our generation were, you know, would sit there and game for 10 hours. You know, anybody that's even played knows you can get lost in that. But some of these, like I know people, even in my immediate family that will sit there and play for 12 hours, like a whole day and their family has to get them to get outside, you know? And these are like, these are like 17, 18 year old people. You know, and so the point is that this is going to be even more immersive. So God only know, like, think about the movies. Like, and I hate to go to a movie because people go, "Oh, conspiracy theory," but like movies like this, like surrogates. You know, the logical extension of where this goes, it's almost impossible to miss. So it's it's, it's quite alarming. And then there's so many other conversations around where that would be. But I know you got to rush off. But so let's finally talk about. And now I don't know if you wanted to. Maybe we can talk about the monkeypox conversation. Another another. Interview. Hey, I mean, I'm, I'm down to do another day this week if you want to, you know, so we don't have to rush the monkey box because there is some good stuff in there that, that we need to get into. I'd like, um, I'd like to talk about the censorship and where this all goes to kind of wrap sure. because that's a huge part of stopping people like us from reaching people that may want to see where, what we think. But th- the reason I kind of pushed this more into the World Economic Forum today was that I definitely think this is hugely important. For those on the podcast, his article is No Regrets, which is a quote from the actual study or or, uh, exercise a 2021 monkeypox simulation predicted 270 million dead lockdowns mask mandates social distancing now it's important very clearly important and who knows where the monkeypox part of this will go but it kind of feels like it's being slowed down right now you know like monkeypox is not the main but i don't know it's it's, i I kind of go back and forth on where i see that going so let's revisit this and see where that goes next yeah I kind of feel I'll, like monkey- I want to end Ryan whenever we do um just by mention responding to what you just said there about monkeypox but yeah let's get into the censorship because I know you want okay. to talk okay, about it. Okay, perfect that. then. Cuz I I do I do see where like that seems to be the direction whether it's monkeypox or whatever next thing they put in this maybe it was a feeler we'll talk about it on the way out. So censorship in general. What first of all just you know what what was their focus on this? I think it's pretty obvious we can guess 
you know, censoring misinformation, I would imagine. <laughs> what were they yeah, exactly. About? We got our, our friend, uh, you, you know, YouTube CEO, Susan, out there, you know, fighting for censorship again. Um, she was speaking to the editor-in-chief of Fortune Magazine. I don't think we mentioned that earlier. That is, again, another media outlet. So you got CNN, Fortune Magazine, New York Times, et cetera. And then at this point, YouTube obviously represents a lot of media as well, you know, from they're essentially a publisher. So she was speaking on this panel and they asked uh, Susan, the head of CEO, if YouTube's efforts to censor misinformation will always be, quote, a work in progress. And she said, I think there will always be work we have to do because there will always be incentives for people to be creating misinformation. The challenge will be to keep staying ahead of that and make sure that we are understanding what they are and the different ways that people may use to try to trick our systems and make sure that those systems are staying ahead of what's necessary to make sure that. So she's just said it like a bunch of gobbledygook of words, but it's essentially saying, yes, we're going to censor people. That's all it really comes down to. The message was sent to the people who needed to hear it at World Economic Forum. Right. Yes, don't worry. We'll keep censoring them. And uh, I took this uh, little kind of uh, note from Re Reclaim the Net. And they're always doing good work on censorship. Mm -hmm. Um, but they, you know, they they remarked, and these are things that we know directly, that YouTube has already deleted more than a million videos for COVID, you know, quote unquote, COVID misinformation. They have announced plans to preemptively censor new misinformation. And they're also thinking about hiding the share button and all the different tricks we've seen them playing over the last couple of years. Obviously, right. you were deleted off YouTube. I was deleted off YouTube. Like, we know this stuff firsthand. And for me, in my mind, this is just Susan, who her sister, as I pointed out in my other article, is married to one of the C CEOs of Google. So it's a nice, fun family they got there. All go into the World Economic Forum just to reassure their um, you know, their bosses or their buddies that they will continue to use the tool in a way that doesn't allow quote unquote misinformation to spread. Yep. Which in many, many, many of these things, even just for T-Lab alone that have been censored. And I'm not talking about long three hour videos where it's all convoluted what I'm talking about. I mean, we've had small five minute clips of things that are peer reviewed science and that's it be censored as misinformation. We've seen Whitney and all the rest of us censored for things that we now have watched flesh out to be real. You know, they don't care. It's just, it's whatever they're calling misinformation. And the point that really stood out to me, which, which I think Whitney and I talked about in regard to the, the new nine 11 threat rising and we don't know how to stop it clip that we played before is that in that discussion, one of the main things they point out is, well, these people aren't technically breaking the law but they're finding ways to use words that can circumvent. Okay, so they're not doing anything wrong. And so you guys don't like that you think you know what they're doing. And so it says so we need to alter the law or remove rights so we can go after them. That was what they were saying. And that's what she's in, in, in um, suggesting right there that, well, you know, they're tricking our system. So, so are they violating your rules or not? You know what I mean? Like it's, I think that. that is a huge point. And that's, that's something that we've seen for years. So, you know, going back to, the first purge, as it's often known, of October 2018, which is when Facebook deleted over 500 of the biggest uh, alternative independent media pages from Collective Evolution, the Anti-Media right. Free Thought Project. So many people that were reaching hundreds of millions of people back in the 2014-15 time uh, and 2016. Of course, this all started once Trump came into office and the fake news meme was spread and then used against us. Right. Uh, by October 2018, when they started taking out pages and then shadow banning and doing all the you know the screwy stuff... One of the things that if you could ever get in touch with a Facebook fact checker, one of the things that they would say or the reasons they would say is that we were manipulating their systems, just like she's saying there, which essentially all it was was that some of us realized how to game the algorithm and realized, hey, you know, if you share a meme, that's going to get more attention than just text and just little things like that. Right. But they make it sound so nefarious, like they're figuring out how to game the system. It's like we learned how to use social media in an effective way and they're mad about it. <laughs> you know, that's all it comes way, down to. 
which by the way, they have adopted going forward. Like think about how dumb that is, right? They're the ones that they've even had the the whole conversation about memetics and how this is an, like, it's only bad when the guys we don't like and the things that we don't like being said are happening, but otherwise it's all good. You know, it's like murdering for freedom. It's all good when it's done by the good guy. You know, it's, it's just frustrating. Exactly. So, I mean, I just wanted to make that point that they've been using those kinds of excuses for years now, every time in the past, whenever one of our well-meaning, you know, members of the, the independent media would try to like, let me just talk to them. Maybe we can convince them to take off the fact check. They they don't care. They're just like, no, you guys are using multiple accounts to, you know, they just make it sound like we're some sort of coordinated thing. It's like, we have a team of people. We go out and post the articles everywhere, but they would, you know, spin it and write it in a way. It's like, they're using multiple teams of people to post in different groups and they're gaming the algorithm. It's like, that's social media. It's marketing. Right. It's learning how to use the tool in an effective way. But when it comes to what we do, which is misinformation, they make it sound like it's some military operation so that the average person reading at home is like, wow, my God, this is like some organized misinformation efforts by these people. Right, right. And then and then with the overarching, if not blatantly on the surface suggestion that you're being funded by Russia or Iran or whoever the bad guy of the moment is, you know, and that's, Absolutely. that's the frustrating part of this. Now, to be clear. What I am doing today is 100% manipulating their system, which is pirate streams, because they've already pushed me out for doing the right thing. So now, not to suggest it's wrong necessarily in their mind, the right thing. So now we are using pirate channels and they are trying to stop us and they can't. And they hate that, right? Because we will continue to be on a new pirate channel popping up like the mole game every every which way. And they, if, if we all embrace that idea and build our networks outside of their system, so you just, you just let them know where the new channel is that day, they can't hurt you. Their censorship yeah. is meaningless at that point. And I, yeah, and I, I, good. Yeah, I just want to say, like, I think it's amazing because I, I, what I was talking about before is, you know, they're they're call they're saying we're manipulating things when we're really not. But at the same time, I don't have a problem with people manipulating things. If you want to game their system, look, these people we're in an info. We're, we this is one thing that Alex Jones had right. We were in an information war, right. and these are people who are literally meeting with the people planning the world government, you know, uh, system. Telling them they're going to continue to censor us. Yeah, Why should narrative. we yeah. respect that? Like, you know, just, oh, I'm sorry. YouTube says, Susan says we shouldn't do this. I guess I'll, you know, just. So, you know, if you want to do pirate streams or figuring out how to game the algorithms and all these kinds of things, I, you know, I, I don't fault people for, for trying to pursue them, those well, methods, because we need to reach people. Exactly. Well, to clarify my point, then we'll finish off with this, is that ultimately what I'm saying is that if you were, let's say I just opened a channel, they, they list in their in their terms of service that you're not allowed to you know be someone else and open these different accounts and use other people whatever right so i'm doing that today but not because i just don't you know care what their rules are but because they have broken their own rules to push me out that's why like just to make that clear i'm all for it and you know what i don't even care if you want to do it against their i don't care but then understand that they have the right to remove you if they're actually following their own guidelines because those things are there for a reason you know, whether you agree with them or not is what i'm saying is they list them therefore they can act on them my point is simply that they don't care about those things. They're a means to an end and they choose to acknowledge them or choose not to based on whatever their current political agenda is. So Absolutely. they're liars. They are the manipulators. And we're just simply trying to poke through pirate radio, classic idea, mm -hmm. you know? So to finish off here, this, uh, what, go ahead. And I already kind of discussed this to start in my mindset of where um, this was going and what are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I'll just mention, I'll just link the two topics together. The one thing we didn't mention is that, and I kind of touched on it, that Bill Gates was there speaking about the next pandemic and he's, 
you know, touch, you know, bringing his hands together like Mr. Burns and it's coming, the pandemic 2.0 and all this sort of stuff. Um, he was basically there calling for more funding, more research. As I did mention earlier, he seemed a little bit annoyed at one point saying that they're distracted right now. Like he's like, there's a lot of issues that are distracting us. And I really would wish we would get back to, uh, you know, worrying about the pandemic and things of that sort. But it's clear that there will be a next pandemic. And I don't mean that in a sense of a real pandemic. You could say mm-hmm. there will be another scamdemic, pandemic, whatever word you want to use. It's clear there's going to be another one of those agendas because they are telegraphing it. They're not even like trying to hide it. And that is, you know, in the context of the World Economic Forum, that is important. There he is right there. I also I think the case was funny. As you're mentioning that, he just, it's a funny shot. So keep going. <laughs> he's sitting there right next to John Kerry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and then in the context of the other article I wrote, the monkeypox one, which I do want to encourage people to read um, and, and take time and, and maybe we'll have another conversation about this because although I know this, you know, it, you know this, Ryan, like whenever something pops up in the uh, independent media or kind of in the circles, everybody jumps on it and there's 30 videos about it the first day. Like, hey, the, the moment people discovered this exercise, which I found it a couple of weeks ago myself, I kind of sat on it and, you know, I saw some of the reporting you did and some other people have done. But ultimately, I do think that what I put together in this 2,500 word article looks deeper than anybody else has. You know, everybody's been talking about the June, you know, the May 15th date. That is important to point out and, you know, some of the other things. But what I was trying to show in here is that for one, as you said, whether or not monkeypox is the next thing, this exercise shows that they are going to take, as I put in the title, a no regrets approach. This is being right. funded by the Nuclear Threat Initiative, which is funded by Ted Turner, a lot of the same old tribe we're talking about, same old people. Uh, and uh, the Munich Security Conference was just another kind of non-geo meeting that brings together NGO meeting that brings together all these organizations and people together funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation all the same people right right and they're getting together to do this exercise and so whether or not it really is the monkeypox thing I think that's almost irrelevant now it might be the case and and if that is the case it could be pretty scary if it's a real thing I don't know but what I took away and the reason I was putting this together is that they make it clear in the event of quote unquote the next pandemic Countries should take a no regrets approach, and they say that several times, and they say that people should take anticipatory action. They should take action ahead of time. They say it several times that we shouldn't wait for for deaths to happen. You know, instead of like waiting and actually seeing, is it necessary to lock people down? Is it necessary to do mandates and all that stuff? We should take a no regrets, aggressive approach and, you know, basically do whatever they think is necessary and don't feel bad about it. And then they also make it clear in this simulation, um, you know, they did the simulation of essentially what they describe as that terrorists weaponize some form of the small, uh, the monkeypox virus. And they did say that this would start spreading on May 15, 2022. And as I put in the article, there's a link to the World Economic or World Health Organization website. And they say that they were notified on May 15, 2022. Does that mean it's going to play out? I don't know. They also said that on June 5th, they found out, or June 6th, one of those dates that they found out that it was uh, weaponized. So I don't know. But what I would like for you to do right now, Ryan, I just did this a moment ago. Go ahead and hit Google CIA, hit monkeypox, because it, it. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it, but it's definitely all in the news today. Now they're saying there's 100 more cases in the UK or and they've even got like a, let's see if it, you see that, how it says 22 monkeypox outbreak. They've already got a little Google thing like yeah. right there. It's it's already a thing now. Like, And, but if you scroll down to the news, look at that. It's like, oh, yeah, it's spreading. It's all, it's all today. Yes. So I don't know. It, I don't know if it ah. is going to be the next thing, but I don't know if it's going to go away either. I wouldn't be surprised if in a month from now, you know, this is a bigger story than than we're seeing. It's kind of just, yeah. it's, it's, it's like creeping up, you know, it's like, if exactly. you imagine, 
being back in January, December 2019, just January 2020, and you're slowly, hey, they said something about this thing called coronavirus, but you're not really paying attention to it. And then three months later, you're like, holy shit. Oh, my God. That's what I feel like we might be in that moment right now. I'm hoping and praying not. But the point is, whether it's monkeypox or some other thing, what what really matters to me is I, I don't think we should get stuck on you know monkeypox itself. Mm. Is that these people are studying and they're making it clear that they are going to be very aggressive with the next one, and they also make it clear that they are raising money to start some new international organization. And as I put in the article, it kind of sounds very similar to these calls for a pandemic treaty for the international health regulations. But the Nuclear Threat Initiative basically says we have a lack of funding on the global level, and they are creating something new. I don't even I know I included the title in the article. It's like the International Initiative for Biosafety or something, the IBBIS or something along those lines that they claim they're going to be launching this year, 2022. And it pretty much sounds like a, uh, a structure for global governance. I mean, so that is something that they are. Um, there it is, the International Bio somewhere in there. Yeah, let me see. If you search biosafety, it might show up there. But uh, it's in the article. But the point is, you know, their their recommendation. There it is: the International Biosecurity and Biosafety Initiative for Science. Yeah. So that's they're making it clear that that is a recommendation. And as we've seen with a lot of these non-geo organizations, NGOs, and nonprofits, they talk about things kind of theoretically, but then at the same time they're working on them. So they're like, exactly. somebody somebody should create this body that's going to play this role. Oh, by the way, we just created it and it's already in place. We got all the rules and papers and documents. Oops, you know, and, and now it's actually going to do the thing we thought it might need to do, you know? So yeah. I think that's the big that's takeaway. Right. Even if none of these monkeypox updates have anything to do with anything, even if all the other stuff about Bill Gates, even if that all ends up being a distraction, a coincidence, we should we should take away that, we know their game plan for the next pandemic. It's going to be very aggressive, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that what we're seeing here, I mean, this is just in- interesting to see that it's all popping up today with the June 6th date we were just mentioning. But that, you know, it's it's to your mention first of the creeping of this. I do feel that's happening. And it's an obvious overlap to how COVID re- went forward. But what's funny is pre-COVID, this would be very fast. But compared to way COVID, where COVID went, I would say they're almost slow rolling this the way as opposed to how COVID started. You know, that they're they're kind of like it's it's one step along and it's like, but it's not that bad. And you've got other people in the corporate media kind of going, but wait, 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 it's not as serious. You know, we kind of got a little bit of that on COVID, but it rushed in very quickly. Whereas this feels maybe I'm just perceiving it differently, but it feels a little bit slower. But either way, your point, it's just it's it just has that on a dime kind of thing where one day they just decide to lean into it. And it's every, you know, as as we're seeing now, it's hundreds of cases around the world, they say, using the same PCR test, the same. And really, that's exactly. my big takeaway from this, guys, is that if you go just going to Derek's article the main point to me is not is well two main points what Derek and what we're discussing is that they map these things out and whether it's monkeypox or something else that it's very clear that they already are mapping out how they're going to do this but ask yourself why if that's what's happening they're deciding to use lockdowns masks and distancing even though what COVID showed us if one thing alone and there's plenty others than just this these don't work Lockdowns hurt people more than they helped. Mask mandates hurt 100% more than they helped. And on that, I mean, on that exact note, since I even bring it up, I wasn't even planning to get into it. I'll include this link. This is another peer-reviewed study on top of everything else we've talked about that show very clearly that this mask mandates very clearly increase the risk of mortality, significantly higher case fatality rates than countries without mandates. And it goes on to make so many other big points. My point is, why would they plan out using the things that this showed us didn't work. 
I mean, it, it just, it's, that's the point. They're going to use these lockdowns, even though they know, because that creates the illusion. So to Derek's point, it's just simply engineering. It's predicted programming. Here's where we're going next. Maybe it's monkeypox. Maybe not. We should just be willing to question this stuff based on what our history has already shown us. It's very alarming. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And that's the main reason I wanted to do that. Like I said, I kind of, for a moment, I was like, oh, maybe I'm too late to report on monkeypox. Everybody's already paying attention or heard about this document. But I think, you know, more than just like, oh my God, monkeypox, the date, look deeper at the issue. Look at the mm-hmm. the takeaway is that the conclusions that they made, you know, some people just looked at the title, saw monkeypox and Bill Gates, and it's, you know, it's a nice connection, but it's much deeper than that. They've made it clear no regrets. Just remember that. Just remember that whatever happens next with monkeypox or COVID-20, you know, the other thing, just throwing this out, I don't know if you remember that movie Songbird. I know we talked about this in 2020. They put that movie out, Songbird, that came out. All of a sudden, they just produced it and released it the summer of 2020, and it was so similar to COVID. And I don't know if this means anything, but I keep thinking about this. In the movie, they call it COVID-23. Yeah, I don't know if that means anything, but Whatever comes next, remember that they are going to take this no regrets approach and we should uh, be prepared for that in whatever ways you can. Absolutely. And our final thought on the no regrets is simply that this is they're getting ahead of it. They're simply going, well, you know, let's say we jump forward to 10 years from now and they that their choices hurt a lot of people. They're going to go, well, you know, we did what we thought was right in the moment. We all committed to this no regrets choice. And, oh, we, you know, so too, we're not going to regret it now, you know. And, and to your point that you made in the past. These exercises, this is the thought I just had, final thought, is that ultimately these exercises, isn't it strange to everybody that they never have these exercises that come out to where we succeed? Ever. I've never seen an exercise that's like, hey, we did everything right and everyone lived. Every single time it's like we failed, we didn't have enough, millions of people died, and yet they do these exercises over and over and over. What happened to the years between all these? Did they not prepare? Why are we in the same position? Because these are meant to seed the idea of that failure, of that catastrophe, being used for their agenda, in my opinion. But I just want to point that Absolutely. out. I think that's pretty obvious. That's but. a great point. And last thing I'll say on that is the other thing is the exercise made it clear that the countries who locked down did the best. The people who acted authoritarian were the ones that did the best. Even though that's not how it pans out. That's the that's the narrative. See the narrative, right? Do what you're told and everything will work out for you. Yeah. Thank, thank you for being here, Derek. I mean, it's just so obvious how, at the very least, these things are concerning. Unelected technocrats out there deciding your future, whether you like it or not. So we'll keep on this as always. And Derek's got plenty of good work coming your way for T Lab, and we've got more coming your way. So, any final thoughts? Is that it out the way out out the door, Derek? I appreciate you, man. Thank you, brother. Yeah, I look forward to uh, doing some new investigations. And uh, if anybody wants to see, you know, some of my my own dives into my articles, you can go to theconsciousresistance.com. Thank you, brother. Outstanding. All right, as always, everybody out there, question everything, come to your own conclusions, stay vigilant. And I have to say, um, when I mention our names, like this Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. But um, what we are very proud of now is the young generation, like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of of, uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, rece- at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I know that half of this cabinet or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world. Economy. That's true in Argentina as well. It's true in Argentina and uh, it's true in France now. Mm-hmm. I'm here with the president, with a young global leader, but... 
And so who do we have as we walk, uh, clubs in, in, uh, in the different meetings? What type of uh, stakeholders do we have, Are we the constituencies? Stakeholders, we have, uh, if, if I look at our stakeholders, we have business, uh, of course, um, as a very important audience, and we have politics, we have uh, uh, continuous um, uh, partnerships with many governments around the world, and of course we have NGOs, uh, we have trade unions, we have all those different parts. Media, of course. Media, of course. And very important um, experts and scientists and academia. Because if we are looking at the future, I think we should look at new solutions. And the new solutions will be very much driven by technological uh, developments. And we even have, uh, you even have religious leaders, right? We have religious leaders. We have social entrepreneurs, very important social entrepreneurs.
difficulty which we have is to create a consensus in a very empowered world. And that's what we stand for, for the process to integrate people and to create such a consensus. Thank you very much, Klaus. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you.